0: You've been listening to the weekly sermon from the Vine Church in Madison, Wisconsin, a spirit-filled family that makes disciples and plants churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. For more information and service times, check out our website at www.TheVineMadison.org. Good morning. Welcome to the Vine. Why don't we go ahead and have a Seat this morning. If you're new here, I want to just say welcome to you. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here at the Vine. And uh, I want to say welcome to you. So glad that you're here. Um, Thankful for everyone gathered here this morning. It's a privilege that when we can gather together around uh, the Lord's table, um, sing as God has called us to sing, helps orient our minds on what is true through song. And uh, learn from what God has revealed to us. Well, this week and starting the next coming weeks, we're going to be doing a series that is a little bit unique. And we're starting a multi-week series on the biblical view of gender. Now, the question is, why would we want to do this? Well, I think it's for a very normal reason And so we need to back things up a little bit and put this in context. Ever since the emergence of the Christian church 2,000 years ago, the church, God's people, has at times and very normally felt some tension between the church and the surrounding culture. Oftentimes there's a tension between the fundamental convictions of a surrounding culture And the fundamental convictions of what it means to be a Christian. And this is, I just want to say from the outset, this is a very normal pathway of discipleship. And it's always been the way ever since God has revealed himself to his people. Whether it's God's Old Testament people in an Egyptian culture that didn't know Yahweh as God so many letters of the New Testament, we see Paul and others responding to Christians on how are they to think about an issue that's flying around in the broader culture. This has always been the case. Very normal for Christianity. Like we're not the first ones in 2020 to feel the weight of of this. So if you read the book of 1 Peter found in the New Testament, you'll see this. If you read the book of Hebrews, you will feel this up close and personal. For example, how should Christians relate to secular government? How should Christians think about a a secular understanding of sexuality? How should Christians think about money and generosity? How should Christians think about parenting? The culture might say one thing. God's word might say another. How are we to make sense of that? Like, this doesn't sound controversial to us, but in an ancient context, in the emergence of the brand new church, in the culture where Rome dominated, the statement, Jesus is Lord, radically controversial. Why? Because at that time, Rome is Lord. The emperor is Lord. Caesar is Lord. So Jesus is Lord is what our Bible says. There's a tension there. So many of our brothers and sisters throughout all of Christian history have been persecuted for making statements that show that they're not citizens of an earthly kingdom first and foremost. And that's, again, that's very normal that we would observe an issue in the culture with profound implications for Christian discipleship and seek to address it, okay? So with that in mind, thinking about just kind of normal Christian history— we know that there's a lot of controversy in our culture right now with respect to gender. And it's not just Christians and, and, and secular culture. There's, there's kind of controversy for among non-Christians as well. And it's not all simple and black and white. I realize that. But the point is, a lot of Christians in this church and, and outside of this church are asking questions about how do we make sense of this issue of gender that's swirling around in our culture. Like my culture all around me saying one thing, I'm not so sure how to make sense of it. I'm not sure what to think. So, for example, our immediate culture of Madison, through the course of the public schools, teachers have received clear directives on how to talk about gender from kindergarten on up. That that you know multi page pdf came out and given to public school teachers in the last few months this is the official policy for what teachers should say to students about gender it's a doctrine of gender for the public schools so this is kind of where the rubber meets the road if you're a christian teacher in the public schools how do we make sense of this culture might be saying one thing. Well, we should be asking, what does God say about this? And so I want to know and I want to live in light of that. It might show up in your workplace. There might be a, a work-wide celebration of a certain view of gender and everyone's asked to get on board with this. How are Christians to think and res- about this and respond? That's, why, that's one of the reasons why we need to do a series like this. It also has to do with how is the family structured? How is the church structured? What does it have to do with that? This conversation is happening all over the place in Christian circles. It's framed as a debate between complementarians and egalitarians. Now, if you don't know what those words mean, that's fine. Don't, Don't sweat it. But the question is, what what does the Vine Church believe? Why do we believe it? What should it mean for family life? What should it mean for church life? So we're going to be talking about these things as well in the next few weeks. Are are men and women fundamentally the same and interchangeable? How we seek to find the answer to that question will have many implications for how we do family life, for how we do church life, how we Think about engaging our culture. And and the challenge is we may be tempted subtly and not even aware of it to just look at what the culture is doing and then simply just copy that. So I think it's clear that we need to have a series like this. So one more piece of introduction and then we'll get into it. This Sunday, if you're visiting, I want to just give you a heads up. This is not how we typically do sermons at the Vine, Um, I'm going to simply, like typically what we do is we just get into what the text of the Bible says, we unpack it verse by verse, and that's what we've been doing for almost 10 years now, and that's, God willing, what we will continue to do. But I'm going to do something a little different this Sunday, and I feel deeply that we need to have certain, I, I think I would call it Christian worldview foundations laid in place to make sense of a Christian understanding of gender. So this morning, I'm just going to simply give us four, and there's more than four, but these are just the four that I think are really important, four convictional worldview statements for Christianity as it relates to this issue. So if you're visiting this morning, this, isn't, this is normally not what we do, and it's not what we're going to continue to do, but I think it's really important in this kind of kick off this, this series in this unique way. We have to lay the foundation. If we don't lay this foundation, any discussion of gender or Christian worldview of gender just won't make any sense. So it's like we have convictions, but what is it that undergirds those convictions? If you don't understand the foundation, like if you don't understand how the foundation of a house is built, the house might look funny you might understand, like, how does this house work? Well, you have to go down to the foundation to see why the, what you see up, up, up top looks the way it does. Well, it's because of how the foundation is structured. That's similar to what we're doing this morning, okay? So I'm just going to give us four convictional Christian worldview statements that, that I think help lay the foundation for what we're going to talk about in the coming weeks as we open up and unfold God's Word for the sake of the culture, for the sake of the family, for the sake of the church, okay? So the first statement is just simply this. God's word is authoritative. Our feelings are not. God's word is authoritative. Our feelings are not. So this might be hugely revolutionary for you, and it might not at all, and everywhere in between. But let me just start with this. If you're a Christian, we believe that the Bible is fully trustworthy, okay, to understand who God is and understand who we are as human beings. So if if the Bible is not authoritative, you guys are wasting your time this morning. Like, Like, you can find a better hobby than getting up on Sunday mornings and the cold and the snow and it's dark and, you know. But if this Bible is... Is not authoritative, what I'm gonna say is not gonna matter at all. So, in terms of seeking to understand this issue, this is a key foundation we're gonna come back to over and over again. We don't look to our feelings, we look to what God has revealed. Let me say that again. We don't look first to our feelings. We'll talk about feelings in a second. We don't look first to our feelings, we look to what God has revealed first. Our starting point for understanding reality is not my thoughts in my brain and my feelings. Our starting point for understanding who God is and who we are is God's Word, the Bible. So it's just kind of Christianity 101, but it's radically countercultural. Now, we could have a whole sermon on why do we even trust the Bible. I'm not going to take time to do that. If you're questioning that, man, that's a great question. And, and we're not shaming anybody for asking that question. We love to engage on that question. So feel free. We're just not going to address. That's a different sermon for a different day, okay? But in some ways, this issue and a whole host of others stands or falls on this. What do we do with God's word? Is God's word authoritative or not? So at the Vine Church, we're going to do our best to submit ourselves ...to what God has revealed about himself and about us. And then seek to build our convictions from there. Instead of, what are my convictions that I find up here? And then try to shove those into what I find in the Bible. Those are two radically different approaches that will lead you to radically different places. You feel the difference? So, real simple, like, if you reject Scripture, then there is no Christian understanding of gender. God has not spoken about these issues. And then it's just one person's opinion versus another person's opinion, and you have power struggles, and who's going to win out? See, if, if we're alone in the universe, and your existence and my existence is just a cosmic accident, then who cares about gender and how it functions in the world, how it functions in the family, how it functions in the church? But if God exists and he has spoken to us in the Bible and he has spoken to us about how we have been created by him and for him, then it matters very much what we do with our bodies that he has created, that he has said is very good, and what it means to be gendered human beings. So that's why we're starting with the authority of God's word this morning and not the authority of our feelings. See, if we're just a cosmic accident, then why not just start with however you feel? However you feel internally, and then just try to fit your God into that. God's just a figment of your imagination anyway. So in the end, who really cares what you do with your own personal body that you find yourself in? But the Bible makes a radically different claim from that of our culture. You're not a cosmic accident. You're not a cosmic accident. You're not alone in the universe. You've been created by a God who knows you and loves you and died for you. And he wants you to flourish in this life based on how he has defined flourishing. So if this is the case, then we don't start with our feelings. We start with God's feelings. How do we know how God feels about things? We look to what, he, what he's revealed, the Bible. That's radically countercultural. And in some sense, this is the most controversial thing I will say in the coming weeks. You don't start with how you feel and fit, that, and fit your God into that. This is the fundamental doctrine of the time and place that we live in right now. Your feelings, your individual feelings Rule and reign. And in fact, it's framed in some ways immoral to say anything different. So said simply, how you feel is not the God of your life. God is God, and we need to see our feelings not as the ultimate arbiter of truth in the world. Now, that's not to say that your feelings are unimportant. I'm just saying they're not ultimate. God wants us to know that your feelings, what goes on in your head and how you think of things and the feelings that you have subjectively are not ultimate. Your feelings are important. Instincts, intuitions, desires. Those are not always bad things. But they're not the ultimate decider on what is true and what is false in the world today. See, we have to assert this with all clarity that if we start with our feelings, what our feelings tell us, we're probably going to have a hard time following God unless you've just made God in your own image. Like if your God never disagrees with you, how do you know that you're not just worshiping yourself? Footnote Tim Keller. Because here's the deal, God oftentimes, in the scripture you'll see it and, it, and if you're following God, you'll, you'll feel it in your own experience. God calls me to do things that my feelings tell me, wow, that's kind of freaky, that's kind of scary, I'm not sure I want to follow God into that. So enough said there. Number one, God's word is authoritative, our feelings are not. Number two, and I'm going to speed up here, so fret not. Number two, this is a discipleship issue, not a political issue. This is a discipleship issue, not a political issue. Now, there may be overlap with whatever's swirling around in politics. In Christianity, sometimes, like, we'll never say that we're a church that's apolitical, Like, that's impossible because we live in a context that is political. And sometimes the Bible's going to address things that just so happen to be political issues in our day. But just know that's not intentional. We're not chasing politics. Right? But it just so happens we live in a culture that has made the gender issue a political issue. But we speak about gender in our bodies because God has spoken about gender in our bodies And this world we find ourselves in. But we have no political agenda at the vine. Okay? But we do have a discipleship agenda. All right? Given to us by King Jesus. So I want to say this from the outset, that we're not approaching this series from any type of culture warrior standpoint. Right? Right? I have very, very, very little interest in social media beefs and or the attention-grabbing faux outrage of our culture that makes billions of dollars capitalizing on stirring up people's anger. We're not interested in any sort of culture war. Christians don't go to war with our culture. Christians seek to speak the truth in love, And live lives of loving sacrifice in front of an onlooking world. But that doesn't sound like culture war to me. But we do care very much about what God has revealed about himself and those he's created. We we care very much about what God says in the Bible. So we're constrained by God's word to understand what he has revealed. So that's the burden that we have in this series. Number two, this is a discipleship issue not a political issue. It's a discipleship issue just because God has given us bodies. We're going to talk about this in the next couple weeks with clarity. God has created bodies, and He said that they're very good. And He says He calls us to honor God with your body. See 1 Corinthians. So, this is a discipleship issue. Number three, <clears throat> persecution of Christians is very normal. Now, I know if you're like me, some of you, this isn't an issue. For some of you, it, it's starting to, like, you're starting to sweat a little bit. Even me just bringing this stuff up. There's tension in our culture. You, you hear what I've already said, and you may just feel that tension in your body a little bit. If you're a visitor, you might be thinking, what kind of church is this? Like, where, is it, where, where are we going with this? It's okay. And you know what could be at stake for you with these issues in the future in terms of your job, maybe some of your friends. It's already happening in our culture. There's been lots of examples in the last decade. About how our culture is moving strongly one way with a dogma, with a doctrine that is becoming more and more concrete. But I want to strongly remind us this morning, if we don't make sense of this, we're going to have a really, really hard time. Being weird in the eyes of the culture is normal. Being marginalized is normal for Christianity. And if that feels abnormal then maybe the problem is us and our desire to be seen as Christians who are cool, Christians who don't fit the stereotypes, Christians who know how to fit in. But here's the deal. The culture is moving rapidly in a direction where it won't matter how cool you are. It just won't matter a lick. It won't matter how good a beer you know how to brew in your homebrew at home. It won't matter if you drink all the right whiskeys in a responsible Christian way. You know, it won't matter if you, like, post all the right stuff on, on Facebook. It won't matter if you hang out in all the right, right places and know how to have all the cool conversations and know how to talk the language of all the cool TV shows that everyone else is watching. It won't matter how hard you cheer for the Packers. It doesn't matter a lick if we don't toe the line on the new rigid fundamentalism of our surrounding culture. We're headed towards... Now, there could be nuance here. I grant you that. But I think in general, we're heading towards, I could be wrong, I'm not a prophet. In our lifetime, we're heading towards a zero-tolerance policy on the culture's dogma, doctrine of gender. So if you're not okay with being marginalized for that, or have thought about that, That could really, really create some problems for us. Now, again, I'm not asking you to be weird or odd for weird's sake, right? That's not the goal. Like, you can be persecuted just for being an idiot. You know what I'm saying? But what I'm saying is, like, if you're faithful and you're seeking not just to stir up trouble, you can do that. But just to be faithful... and persecution comes to find you, that's very normal. If you read your Bible, it's very normal. I'm just asking for us to all get used to the idea that Christianity is not cool. It's never been cool. And Christians being seen as weird and marginalized is quite normal from the perspective of the Bible. I mean, if you read the New Testament, Christianity emerged on the scene as marginalized as it could get. I mean, you don't get any more marginalized than these 12 uneducated disciples that Jesus started with. But they had the power of the Holy Spirit, and they set the world on fire for Jesus. Here we sit today, 2,000 years later. Christianity has not been snuffed out. In fact, it's thriving. See, China. Might not be thriving here, it's thriving all over the world. There's more more Christian conversions. I'm gonna get the statistic wrong, but it's something like this. More Christian conversions in Iran in the last fifty years than the previous five hundred. It's something like that. The church is thriving on the margins in Iran and in China. So persecution is normal. The Holy Spirit brings power from the margins as people are desperate for him. But, man, if we just don't embrace this reality now, I'm preaching this to myself, and mentally come to terms with this right now, we're setting ourselves up for massive tension and internal struggle. Like, God, I was ridiculed for my Christian convictions and threatened to lose my job. How could you let this happen to me? And then God will gently take you to his word and show you this is normal. Maybe the problem's with us if we feel it's abnormal. And, and granted, listen, we've lived in this little slice of history for maybe the past two, three hundred years where Christianity is not persecuted. Our world is kind of a Disneyland, right? Comparatively for most of individual Christians' experience throughout history. But all this to say, this, the sky is not necessarily falling. But we should recognize that where we live or where we have lived in our lifetime, where Christianity is not necessarily on the margins, is unique. It's unique. doesn't have to be all doom and gloom. This isn't a doom and gloom sermon. I want you to be ready. But oftentimes history is not linear, you know, Maybe I'm saying like it seems like there's, we're headed towards this in our lifetime, a zero-tolerance policy about gender. And if anybody seeks to not fall in line with that, there's going to be persecution. It feels like it's heading that way, but I could be wrong. History oftentimes is not linear. It ebbs and flows and does things that we don't expect. So I just want us to be prepared more than anything. I would be disobedient as a pastor if I didn't help you be sobered to the reality The persecution for Christian convictions is very normal. So let's just come to terms with it. It might not happen for you. It might. But we have to ask ourselves, all of us have to ask ourselves, no matter what, is Jesus worth it? Is Jesus worth it? And I would say that if Jesus rose from the dead, and he did, then he is worth it. He is worth it. Very much worth it. So thirdly, persecution of Christians is very normal. And then finally, number four. This issue has to be framed with compassion and a willingness to acknowledge the complexity of individual experiences of gender. I want to acknowledge that a lot of what I've said probably sounds pretty black and white. And there's a time to talk that way. I talk that way maybe a majority of the time from up front. But I want you to know that in my life, in my own experiences, in my own relationships, I know that this issue, whether it's how does gender work itself out in the family, how does gender work itself out in the church, how does gender work itself out in culture, how does gender work itself out for those that are are unbelievers, I know that is complex. It's not simple. That doesn't mean... Truth can't come to bear, but what it does mean is that as we approach this issue, we have to approach it with compassion. We have to approach it with listening. We have to approach it with sensitivity. Like if I was talking to someone this morning who is experiencing gender dysphoria, meaning someone who honestly feels like their, their, their physical genitalia does not line up with their feelings— their body, like they're trapped in the wrong body. That's a very common experience for a small slice of people in our culture. If I'm talking to that person, I'm not just going to say, here's A, B, and C of the Christian worldview. Okay, get over it. Like, that's, that's not appropriate. That's not loving. That's not listening. That doesn't mean that I'm going to bend on my convictions but it does mean that how I frame those convictions is going to demand wisdom and probably some type of a relationship and building trust. Right? So finally, I just I want to make sure we get that. This is this is tough, complex depending on who you're talking to and the context that you're in. And so we need to embrace that. I just don't want us to. Here is a stereotype. I don't want us to fit that—that that we're just like the beat the people over the head with the Bible kind of Christians and just get A, B, and C in line and then you're good. And what's your problem? Most of you in this room, though, don't struggle with that. I know you. Most of you in this room, thankfully, have the humility of understanding that that's not how we relate to people that have different convictions. I think a lot of us, myself included could receive a challenge for you're doing a great job on the listening and the building relationships. Where does truth come to bear? So there may be a spectrum there of grace and truth, and Jesus calls us to find the middle and live there. And that's hard. So what are we going to need? We're going to need prayer. We're going to need prayer, like walking with the Spirit. God, would you help me figure that out? I mean, that's just as Christian one-on-one as it gets. Lord, I want to live grace and truth in the surrounding culture that, 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 that it, I don't know how to make sense of it at times. Lord, I want to live grace and truth. I want to live courage and compassion. Help me figure that out, God. Help me figure that out. So, hey, let's pray that way in the coming weeks, okay? Would you pray that way for me? Would you pray that way for your friends and your family and your city group? Um, We just all need to be praying this way. Let me review. Number one, God's word is authoritative. Our feelings are not. Number two, this is a discipleship issue, not a political issue. Number three, persecution of Christians is very normal. And number four, this issue has to be framed with compassion and a willingness to acknowledge the complexity of individual experiences of gender. Finally, I want to just real practically, um, we've created a new channel on Slack for this series, if you're new to the church, Slack is just our online communication network. If you're a member here or maybe a regular attender, you're probably on Slack. And so if you want to get on Slack uh, and, and you're going to make this church your home, we really encourage that. You just can sign up on our website for that. But for those of you who know how to use Slack, uh, you can just go on the, cha- on the left-hand side or you look at all the different channels and hit the plus button. You'll see a, ch- uh, a channel that says, um, I think it says, Gender Sermon Series. And we've created that as elders so that in the next, whatever, it probably be six to eight weeks, if things come up that you have questions about, we want that to be a forum for you to ask elders questions about anything and everything that um, might get stirred up in this sermon series, Okay. And so we, want to, we just want to, you feel free to ask questions that you have. How can we help you? How can we help you understand? How can we um, walk alongside you in this? Because we're going to be going lots of different places. Like, what is marriage? What is the family? Men and women in the church, you know, and what does all that mean? So there is that Slack channel for your help. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and the authority of it and how you've lovingly given it to us because you love us. Father, I pray that we would embrace you in these next few weeks as we seek to um, understand what you have said about how you have made us and our identity as, um, as human beings that have bodies. And Lord, help, we want to honor you with our bodies, so would you help us? Lord, if there's folks here today that um, have questions about this, I pray that you would just help us all engage this issue with with courage and compassion, with grace and with truth, and um, maybe for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.